DJ and PK, it is time to go up to the hill and listen to Kyle Woodingham. He's meeting with the media on Zoom right now. Here's his opening statement. Engaged or uh, geared towards uh, player development, fundamentals, techniques, not so much scheme. Uh, that'll come later in the fall, but just getting every every play in the program better fundamentally and technique-wise. That's the overall objective, and so far that's happening, so we feel good about where we're at. Uh, questions? We'll start with Jeff Call of the Deseret News, followed by Trevor Allen, kslsports.com. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, Kyle, now that you're about two weeks into spring ball, could you assess the performance of the quarterbacks at this point, what you've seen from them, and what kind of stands out to you about them at this point? Yeah, first of all, Charlie Brewer is quite a bit ahead of everybody else. The other four are freshmen. That's to be expected. Charlie's a, a senior, uh, had a lot of experience. Uh, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. The other four four guys have uh, actually no Division One experience, and so that's uh, no surprise to us that that's how things are are uh, <clears throat> unfolding to this point. <clears throat> We've got uh, obviously Cam Rising waiting in the wings uh, when fall camp begins, and. So that'll put a whole new spin on the on the uh, quarterback competition. But right now, Charlie Brewer is, is clearly uh, performing better than uh, anybody else. Next, we'll go to Trevor Allen. Kyle, in you've you've actually had a lot of pro days throughout your years, um, be, being the coach, and you don't have one this year just because of everyone coming back. But what what do you normally tell your players who are who are going to you know have pro day? around all of those NFL scouts that, that uh, tend to show up? Well, just relax and, and do your thing. I mean, they're, they're there for a reason. They're, they're invited to a pro day because they're good players, good athletes. And uh, just go give it your best. I mean, don't press. Don't be nervous. Just uh, perform like you're capable of and, and uh, good things will happen. So, and it is much different this year without a pro day. First First uh, time ever since I've been in Utah, we haven't had a pro day. And then again, you mentioned it's because we just don't have anybody. Not one player has uh, made himself eligible for the draft. And this year, with the super seniors, they had to make a declaration weeks ago whether or not they were going to uh, enter the draft or come back for that for that uh, fifth fifth year, I guess you would call it. But but uh, everybody opted to stay here, underclassmen as well. We had several uh, players that will be juniors in eligibility this fall that uh, could have opted to come out, but, but uh, there will be uh, no youths represented this year in the draft, but next year you can count on uh, a good crop of players coming out here. And then to follow up on that, in, in 2020, you had a lot of guys getting drafted, but you weren't able to hold a pro day because of COVID. How hard was that to, to not be able to hold one for all those guys? Yeah, I guess we didn't have one last year either, but we were supposed to and, and uh, had one on the, uh, on the calendar, but that was tough for those guys. And, and, uh, you know, this year, I guess there's still some uh, question on what the NFL is going to do, uh, you know, OTAs and that type of thing. But, but uh, it's it's been different. Hopefully, next year, knock on wood, we get back to normalcy and and everything is uh, back to uh, the usual procedure, and, and uh, we can go from there. Next up is Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Kyle, uh, good morning. Morning, Josh. Um, just with the QBs, I, I, I know that you're not making any firm final decisions coming out of spring practice, but do you expect to be leaving spring at least with a pecking order, knowing that Cam is still going to get his shot during the summer? Without a doubt. It's, uh, it's going to happen. We'll come out of spring with the five guys that have been getting to work in, in a ranked uh, order and, and uh, on hierarchy. And, 
and uh, and Cam will enter in, like we said, in the fall. And, and uh, it's really, you know, you can't uh, spend much time in the fall with any more than two quarterbacks getting the reps. So there'll be a short period of time where we'll probably have three guys involved. But, uh, you know, if Cam is able to uh, do everything and, and not be limited and take all the reps that we hope he's able to take, then it'll really be a two-man race. Just to follow up off topic, um, R.J. Hubert, you know, he was coming off the injury last year. You know, he wasn't a, a full, full go when the season started. What have you seen out of him so far as he tries to, you know, get back to 100% fully? Much better. He's, he's uh, where he was prior to the injury. And you're right, last year he was limited. Uh, still had a lot of soreness and wasn't able to uh, function at the level that he's capable of. But right now he's back to to uh, his old self and has had very few issues uh, this spring. A little bit of soreness, but very, very minimal. And so it's good to see him back there. And he and Vontae Davis are uh, two guys that are really doing a good job at the safety position for us. Next, we'll have David James, followed by Cole Bagley of the Daily Utah Chronicle. Kyle, I'm curious, with the depth chart and the hierarchy you're talking about establishing, not just a quarterback, but at every position, does that is that going to lead to not just at your school, but with other programs too, uh, more transfers around the country? And will the transfer portal heat up again? Do you have a good feel for how that plays out? Or is that <clears throat> a wild card even for you? Well, I'm sure there's going to be more guys enter the portal. The problem is it's so saturated now. Uh, there's probably, you know, literally one scholarship for every four or five players that are in the portal. And so uh, people got to be careful and, and smart with uh, how they proceed and how they handle things. But, yeah, it could. You know, when you come out of spring and you're not where you want to be, then I'm sure some guys will uh, exit. But uh, you hope guy, the majority of them will just continue to fight and compete and, and uh, continue to help the team any way they can. That's uh, <laughs> Hopefully that's not becoming completely a thing in the past, is to be a team guy and, and help out and, and find a role and embrace it, you know, whether it's special teams or whatever the case may be, and, and uh, help your team try to win a championship. And, and so that's we we're hoping the majority of our guys take that mentality and that attitude instead of just, uh, you know, sticking their name in the portal. Next, we'll have Cole Bagley, Daily Utah Chronicle. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good morning. Doing good. Thank you. Good. Um, I was just curious, you know, now through two weeks, what are your overall impressions of Peter Costelli and Jaquindon Jackson and how, how they've per- been performing thus far? Very athletic players, big big upside, uh, high ceilings for both those guys. But they're still, you know, Pete's just out of high school, just, just finished going to high school uh, about a month and a half ago. And so a couple months ago, so he's, he's uh, very early in his development. Uh, JJ, Quinn and Jackson has a uh, little more experience. He had a year at Texas where he was able to take a few reps, but uh, both those guys are tremendous athletes. Uh, Pete's a 10, 700 meter guy and, and Quinn is uh, looks like a linebacker and so, and runs like a deer. So he's got a lot of ability as well. And uh, we we're, we're uh, very, excited about their futures and optimistic about what they're going to bring to the program. And uh, we don't, we're not counting them out of the race yet either. I mean, just because I said Charlie Brewer is clearly number one right now, that doesn't mean that uh, some ground can be made up by, by those younger guys in the next three weeks.
And just a quick follow-up, has, has there been any pleasant surprises from, from anybody? Sure. Yeah, we've had, we've had uh, a lot of guys that have really stepped up. Bama Wilsini, our offensive tackle, is playing uh, exactly as we hoped he would play when we recruited him. He's, he's uh, really hitting his stride this spring. Uh, the two new running backs, T.J. Pledger and Chris Curry, doing a great job. Um, the, the, uh, the secondary that's still, I mean, we can say they had five games under their belt last year, but they're still pretty raw, and there's a lot of development that's taken place there, and those guys are all getting better. Uh, you know, Clark Phillips is having an outstanding spring. Uh, Fabian Marks is progressing. So, yeah, there's a lot of guys that uh, are are showing good development and uh, needs to continue. You know, we're only two weeks in, so we've got a full, what, 60% of, of spring left in front of us. And, and that uh, that uh, has got to continue on you know, as far as the development and getting better and, and uh, the fundamentals and the techniques improving. For our final question, we'll go back to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, Kyle, um, your first opponent is Weber. Um, they're obviously going through a spring season right now. I'm curious, you know, with them with them playing a season, are you at all paying attention to what Weber is doing? Have you watched any of their games? Are you at all thinking about the opener yet? Sure. As coaches, we are. And we're watching uh, Weber State tape just yesterday, as a matter of fact. And uh, we'll continue to do so as their season uh, continues to unfold and, and uh, not uh, exposing our players to any of it. That's not uh, something they need to be worrying about right now. They need to be worrying about becoming better football players and, and learning our scheme, and that's exactly what they're doing. And, and uh, the time for players to watch that tape will come later this summer. But uh, as coaches, you bet, we're, we're watching and uh, breaking down each game as they occur. There's Kyle Whittingham meeting with the media. And he gets up and leaves the chair, and that's that. Spring football, so PK. Bam is looking good. That's good because we want offensive (laughs) linemen named Bam to look good. Uh, It's funny about him because he sure had a lot of hype. And it reminds me of those BYU guys when you got in a training camp in August. Is he going to come is he going to get here? There was like legendary guys, Walt Williams and Eddie Scipio come to mind when I was covering him for the Watchdog, and you'd be down there every day. Is he coming today? Well, we'll see, we'll see. I don't know if those guys ever came. I don't remember. And Bam Oluwosini, he was like this mountain of a man who had the unusual name Bam, and he got there and then he didn't play. <laughs> it's like, we had so much time talking about this kid. And I'd actually forgotten about him a little bit until Kyle uh, Red said his name here just now. And like, oh, yeah, I remember him. It was like a couple years ago. Is he going to be here in time? Will he, If he gets here, you know, when will he be here? Will he be able to contribute? And then they got other guys in there. And then they this new group took over after they lost uh, some guys a couple years ago. And it was a bunch of youngsters. And now you hadn't heard much of about him, and then Kyle brings his name up, which is good. I mean, he, he's got to be a nine-year junior or senior by now. It <laughs> seems like uh, he was a junior college kid, if I remember. But, yeah, I remember that name. And there was some, sometimes guys take on legends that supersede their ability, particularly if they don't arrive in time and camp has started. Because you get to the third day, Kyle, who looked good today? I mean, okay. You know, you got to come up with something. Hey, how about Olosini? Is he going to be here? When's he going to be here? Oh, it looks good. You know, he's got to do this, and then we're not sure. And and then it becomes legend. It takes on a life of its own. 
And it would be good for him, obviously, if he can get out on the field. He is very big. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, he was uh, like Jackson Barton was so huge, you know, just a real funny Jackson had that little baby face, but his body was just enormous. Although Cini has this enormous body, too. If he can get out on the field, uh, assume he can help him. Bam is listed at 6'7", 335. So that right. is massive. And <laughs> yeah. he, his, his, uh, when you look at the roster, he's listed as from London, England. It's the kind of stuff that jumps out at you that adds to that legend you're talking about. Right. London, England to Garden City Community College, which I right. think is in Kansas. And yes. plays the Texas schools, I think, a little bit. And it's uh, a lot of ja- a lot Kansas, of players. Kansas is its own league. They've got like oh, yeah, eight or nine JUCO teams. In they've that got. State. They've had a Garden City has produced enough, even though I've never, I have no idea where in Kansas Garden City Community College is. I, I've heard of them because they've produced so many players. So many guys have passed through there. So it's like El Camino, huh? Yeah, right, El Camino. <laughs> yeah, John Featherstone was longtime coach. He was there when I was there. He just. Uh, Passed, I think, earlier in this month. Alzheimer's at like 69, 70. And he'd had it for a few years. Uh, A tragedy for sure because he was a legend at El Camino. A number of guys, obviously Sarkeesian is one of the more prominent guys, but a number of guys over the years. And and, uh, those junior colleges, some of them do a really great job of producing some pretty good talent. And John Featherstone, obviously Frank has talked about him a lot when we have him on during the season because he played there before he came up here to Utah uh, in, what, the early 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And so he knew him. And that's just somebody that we recognize, El Camino. It's like, yeah, okay, we've all heard of El Camino. Now that happened to be right there by the Torrent. Torrents were my work for Daily Breeze, so it was in our circulation. I'd been to their stadium many times over and so forth, and had seen Featherstone in our offices, and he was a good coach. Yeah, but uh, Olosini, and no surprise there that uh, Kyle says Charlie Brewer is way ahead of the competition because the competition right now has literally no experience. (laughs) So, And you're bringing in somebody who has a whole lot of experience. (laughs) So it would stand to reason that Charlie would be uh, heads and shoulders above, and that's taking nothing away from the youngsters because they'll have their opportunities down the line. And I think that uh, my my goal for uh, Cam Rising is obviously to have him healthy because he won that job last year. And in retrospect, seeing what we saw, it's not a surprise. Uh, We didn't get much to see much of him, but what we saw of the other guy, Bentley, just wasn't there. And so you can see why Rising would have won that competition. Hopefully they have more competition and he's healthy. I still think Brewer wins it, uh, but I want to see Rising get healthy and have that competition. And whoever's good enough is uh, who they'll choose to be the starter. And then absolutely no surprise that they're watching Weaver. They're watching everybody. Those guys packing in the hours. They're early in the morning and they stay late and all that stuff. And so, yeah, they're watching film of of everybody. And, and what's amazing to me is you could pluck out somebody, uh, let's just go whomever, uh, UC Los Angeles, and you say, hey, well, what about this one kid that's coming in? And they'll know about him. These, the coaches at Utah – will know about them because they just know about everybody to one degree or another. And uh, it, it's amazing. 
how much they know about everything and they, they and they got it right at their fingertips they can recite kids that not that are not in their program i told the story of uh i went to jersey mike's in hawthorne california and i was getting ready from media day and i was getting ready to drive back home stopped to get a sandwich for the long commute you know the 10 11 hour drive and there's a big polynesian kid and uh talking to him you know where from utah oh yeah they recruited me and he went to i think he went to maricosta which is a manhattan beach high school and uh, i don't remember the kid's name but at the time i i remembered it right because it was a pac-12 media day which meant practice was starting the next week so after practice uh because he played linebacker or something i asked kalani because kalani was still the d coordinator at utah oh yeah 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 and he lists like 20 things about the kid (laughs) they know everybody so and they watch everything so of course he's watched they've watched tape of weber state and just the amount of knowledge that they have about all these things is really just incredible and they care about all those details they yeah. care, does a kid have a job? Okay, so maybe he's got a really good work ethic, and also maybe he's got more upside as a player because he's got to work, and he won't have to work when he gets here. We'll have him focused on football and the weight room, and he'll have more time to watch film and all that stuff. And uh, Kyle said once that he went, he knew that Louis Sakota would be good under pressure as a kicker because he wanted to watch him in a baseball game. And he said he was pitching, he was on the mound, he was so poised, and he said, it's just like kicking. You know, you're right there, and all eyes are on you, and you got to perform. You can't hide when you're on the mound. So they're watching other sports. They're watching other games where guys work. They, they, they want to know everything. Yeah, this kid, I don't know where he ended up going to play college football, but he, his math was good because he gave me the correct change. Nice. They want to know that. <laughs> they look you in the eye. They want to know everything. Everything. Never stops. Uh, we talked earlier. We've got a couple minutes still here in this segment, PK. We talked earlier about Bruce Feldman ranking uh, Kyle as the 12th best coach in America. And i got to admit, my first reaction when I heard that was, I think that's a little on the high end for a guy who has been chasing a Pac-12 title for a decade and doesn't have it. And then I thought, well, how much would you drop? And I said, well, he'd still, I'd still probably have him top 20. And then I looked at the list, and that made me think, wait a minute, the same teams are winning conference titles every year. There aren't 11 coaches with conference titles in front of him. There are all kinds of guys in front of him that are chasing conference titles. Because, well, Dabo Sweeney has them all in the ACC. Nick Saban has most of them in the SEC. And Lincoln Riley's been reeling them in in the, in the Big 12. So pretty quickly you get to – to coaches who've plucked off one, and pretty quickly after that, you get to coaches who haven't won them, but have come close at schools you don't think of, like Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a similar trajectory to Kyle. So for all the people who thought like I did when you said 12, it's like, okay, they don't have the conference title and a Rose Bowl or a playoff. Well, Kirby Smart, does he have one? He's been to a playoff, but I can't remember if that was the year the SEC got two or if he actually pulled off one SEC title. Uh, Yeah, but see, that... that that plays into what I've always believed. Coaches are judged by winning, for sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. But I don't necessarily think they're judged by titles. Right. And what I'm, that, I, yeah. I don't think Phil Jackson's any better than Jerry Sloan. If Jerry had had Michael Jordan, he would have won a bunch of titles. 
Well, or if he had Shaq, he would have won a bunch of times. And I think coaching, you, you, winning, you can't discount it, right? You've got to win, right? Larry, Larry's a great guy, Christobiak, but he didn't win enough, so he's not the coach, mm-hmm. right? That's just the way it is. Uh, you know, highly compensated as he walks out the door, but he didn't win enough. Uh, I, I think what you, you need, you certainly need to win, but I think that you're judged for me. Did you put your guys in position to get the job done? And then it's up to them to get the job done. I, I agree with that, but I think when you got 130 college football teams and you do a top 25 list, everybody on the list will have, will have won. So the question comes, how much, and maybe more specifically to your point, okay. did you blow stuff you shouldn't have? Jim Harbaugh's on the list yeah, at yeah, 22, yeah, yeah. and that goes back to what I was telling you in the previous segment. Well, I think Michigan's got built-in advantages versus most of the Big Ten. Now, some of those have probably eroded over time. Other people, you know, facilities and all that. And, and being in another division gives a school like Wisconsin a chance to win something, and that builds them up. And it's, you know, something they didn't have 30 years ago when – Maybe they didn't have the facilities, and they didn't have the division, so they couldn't claim something before they lost to Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. Mm-hmm. So I, the thing I thought when I saw the list that I really liked, which is why Kyle belongs in 12, is the people they put at 13, 14, 15. When I say these names, 90% of our listeners, maybe more, are going to know all these guys, but all these programs have slipped. So if you put them in a place to win, yes, but if you had a couple years that kind of make you wince. You know, TCU has been up and down. And certainly Gary Patterson is one of the best parallels for Kyle's career. You know, they should be close together. They did BCS busters when they were in the Mountain West. They made the transition and have won at a pretty good level when they got into the Power Five. Well, Patterson's 15 and Kyle's 12. So you're splitting hairs there. And Kirk Ferentz and David Shaw are 13 and 14. And Iowa and Stanford have both had good runs, but then they've also both had a stretch where it hasn't been that good. Yeah. I want to throw this out at you. Are Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley better than Kyle Whittingham? And that's why I started this in that when we talked about in the previous segment with, well, if you got built-in advantages, because Oklahoma's got them. The program was already up and running, and Oklahoma is one of the top ten college football programs of all time. And Utah is not one of the top ten football programs of all time. So it's real apples and oranges. And also, these coaches, uh, I would go to the Oregon and Oklahoma programs, you know, do it for 10 or 15 years because that's a trick in its own. You're going to lose your assistance. You may come in with a good staff, but there is definitely a trick to maintaining that. And Nick Saban has yeah, done it's called money. awesome job. Well, money is a big factor, no question. <laughs> and after a while, it's actually harder to put the second and third group together because when you're putting the sixth group together, the coaches are coming to you because now Nick, it's like, well, he's going to rehabilitate my career. I mean, we can go through a list of people Coaches who were deemed failures, who went and stood next to Nick on the sideline. Maybe he yelled at them. Fine. But they went off and got cool jobs. Oh, yeah, there's, you only need to have one list. name, and that's Mike Loxley. <laughs> okay. That's it. You don't need <laughs> right, any other but, name. But Sarkeesian just got the Texas job, right? Yeah, but that, that was inevitable. But, but because you, Loxley was not sucked, inevitable. <laughs> nobody sucked at, at New Mexico like Mike Loxley did. So, sure. Those guys, that's a, you get what you pay for there, and they're paying these guys enormous amounts of money. Uh, and nothing against Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. I'm sure they're great. Mm-hmm. But I have no doubt that Kyle would be just as good or better at those places. And I wonder 
if they would be that good at Utah. Yeah, precisely. Yep, I do too. Uh, Lincoln Riley is fourth, and uh, Ryan Day is eighth. But to go back to your Phil Jackson uh, comparison, you know, the, all the people who don't like Phil getting all the run for the 11 championships, well, could he do it over here at so-and-so? Well, he didn't take those jobs. <laughs> when he left Chicago, he was picky. He took the Laker job. I'll sit Smart down here. I'll wait. You know, yeah. and so, so Ryan Day, I mean, there's, you know, Utah or TCU or Iowa State or wherever else you want to throw in there. And Ryan Day got on the Ohio State staff and uh, positioned himself well. So now he's 23-2, and two, but that's apples and oranges to you know, what Matt Campbell's got to do at Iowa State or what Kyle's had to do at Utah. It, it's really, you know, these lists are going to be arbitrary. You just got to hope that someone's in the, in the right ballpark. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic and Andrew, I guess the question is uh, people uh, have to decide before they go to Wasatch Medical is do they want to take the pill or, in some cases, do they want to stop taking the pill? And I'm sure you hear from people who want to stop taking the pill. Yes. If uh, you're struggling with ED, I'm yet to meet a man that enjoys taking the pill. Uh, For a lot of guys, it doesn't work. For a lot of guys, they have to take more and more of it to get the same effect. So that means that the side effects are increased. Um, They get headaches. They get blurred vision kind of a hangover feeling the next day, and then eventually it stops working. Uh, And we've been doing that for 30 years. Um, Until 2011, the FDA registered one device uh, for acoustic wave therapy. A bunch of clinical studies were done on that technology, uh, showing that it can regrow blood vessels. That's what we're using, and using it to treat the root cause problem of ED. We've helped so many guys get off the pill, I had a 45-year-old guy who had pretty severe ED, actually, was able to get back to function like when he was 30, which I thought was really cool. Maybe not 20, but 30 was still pretty good. Uh, Eliminate the pill and get normal function back in the bedroom. So as you do this, you hear about the top causes of the ED because the guys are probably asking themselves, why does this happen? Yeah. I think that a lot of it is around the American lifestyle, to be honest with you. As we age and maybe as we eat as well, blood vessels, they get hardened, so they cannot dilate when the timing is right. Um, And it's so normal. It's so common. There's so many men suffering with this. If you're out there frustrated to any degree in the bedroom, I promise there's a lot of guys like you. Uh, Our technology can help uh, no matter what the health condition is. All right, you got a uh, deal. Our listeners love deals, discounts, special yeah, offers. We do. Call us. Put a stop to the ED, guys. Uh, we really believe in delivering a lot of value. Uh, you'll meet with our doctor. Uh, he'll do an assessment. He'll do an exam. He'll even do a blood flow ultrasound, all at no charge with no obligation. Uh, a little enhanced gift as a thank you for coming in that produces immediate results in the bedroom. You'll love that. Uh, call us. It's all no charge. Guys, you can call Wasatch Medical right now, 801-901-8000. Andrew Reinhardt, Wasatch Medical Clinic, 801-901-8000. The number is 801-901-8000. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. How are you? Good. We're good. I don't know how you handled it this year. In past years, I always thought the uh, the NBA trade deadline was a massive sugar rush for you. 
And then today you'd just be you'd just be coming down off of it now, coming off the sugar high. But I'm curious if you agree with our listeners, because our listeners on our Facebook page, when the deadline hit, what'd you think? The team that got the most mentions, that got the most praise as a team the Jazz fans do not like to praise or do not like to say nice things about, that's the Denver Nuggets. But our listeners thought the Nuggets did very well for themselves. Do you agree? I do. I think Portland did better. I would say Portland was the winner of the trade deadline, not Denver. Um, And then they get all their guys back coming up here, so I think they're even more the winner of the second half of the season. Um, I, you know, could make an argument that Utah and Phoenix and the Clippers are the winner as well. Time will tell what Andre Drummond does, but the Lakers didn't do anything. And that might be as important as anything else. Had Kyle Lowry ended up on the Lakers, that would have been a pretty big shift in the Western Conference to an already loaded team. Um, so they weren't able to do that. They pulled off something else to, to give them a little bit more depth and talent. Uh, maybe the moves that weren't made were the biggest. The Clippers talking about Lonzo Ball. I didn't quite understand how they would ever get it done, but if they did, instead they end up with Rajon Rondo. So from a Phoenix, Denver, Utah standpoint, I think maybe the biggest story of the West is actually what didn't happen. Now, I think Portland got better and Denver filled a gap. I'm still not certain whether I think Aaron Gordon is good um, or that's not the right way to phrase it. NBA players are all good. But whether Aaron Gordon directly helps winning or not is still not clear to me. Um, and whether or not he's, you know, we still think of him as the fourth pick of a draft, whether he's that type of player or whether we just love the concept of a 6'9", 240-pound elite athlete and think of what he could be rather than what he actually is. But they did fill a gap. Millsap was giving them very little. Jermichael Green wasn't giving them a lot. Gary Harris, um, you know, they had to trade something. The only other piece of that that I would say, and, you know, Again, uh, there's just a lot here. Denver has had this unique collection of talent over the last, you know, if you look at Denver about three or four, two years ago, maybe, they had Malik Beasley and they had Juan Herman Gomez and they had Gary Harris and they had Will Barton and they had uh, Bull Bull and they had Michael Porter Jr. And I thought they were really primed to add a third star um, or even a second star next to Jokic. And and if Aaron Gordon is accumulation of that, to me, that's as a Jazz fan, that's good. Because I thought that could have been Bradley Beal. I thought that could have been, you know, uh, frankly, they probably should have tried to pull a Gordon Hayward side and trade. Like, I just thought there was a really high-quality player that, without question marks, that Denver could have added, considering the fabulous job Tim Conley had done in drafting talent for that team, and that they end with Aaron Gordon, to me, is a little bit of a, eh, you know? It's like it's a grilled cheese sandwich without, like, tomato or bacon. What kind of bread? <laughs> Maybe wheat. Okay. Well, go healthy option. Good call. Right. I mean, like, it's not like on great sourdough. <laughs> right. And it's not fancy. It's not fancy like breachers. 
cheese or something. Like, it's just regular good old, like, you know, pull the American cheese out of the plastic. It's not, it's not like a gourmet, like, grilled cheese sandwich there. I mean, I, Calvin Booth is, is a great guy. I covered him in Seattle. He's done a good job as a GM. I'm, I'm, and Tim Conley's done amazing work there. I'm not, I, I, you know, the world might not have lined up for them. I'm not trying to be critical of the Nuggets. I'm just looking at it from a jazz perspective. They're really, really good. They're the most underrated team. You go to whatever betting site out there. I was on Bet Online this morning to look at it. Their odds are still, like, just way lower than I think they should be. I think they're every bit as legitimate a title contender as anyone else in the West. So they got better, but... You know, over the last 12 to 18 months, I've looked at that roster like, oh, my gosh, they're going to pull something off, and they didn't. Rye's always disappointing. Not a fan of the rye. Yeah, rye. Rye, those, you know, pumpernickel would probably no. not be good either. Yeah, no no, no point in that. My wife, uh, the focaccia bread, she first thought it was pronounced focakiki, which always <laughs> amused me. Oh, I thought it was pronounced focaccia. Well, it depends on where you're from in the country. I'm from back east. I don't know wheat and right. sour. Or, I mean, if you're from Sandy versus if you're from, like, you know, Murray, then it's really different, mm-hmm. too. Oh, drastic differences in these neighborhoods. Right. I, I mean, mean, focaccia seems like a little, like, strange for a grilled cheese. I, I don't think there's so, anything focaccia-esque about this perform. This. I mean, I just <laughs> think this is, like, good old, right. like, sourdough with, like, cheddar cheese inside. They didn't even go Swiss. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, this isn't like stopping at the Beaver Creamery on the way to St. George and getting your, like, really awesome grilled cheese. This is not what they did. I've never stopped at that place. I've seen it a million times. Is it worth stopping there? Yeah, absolutely. It's become a, we, we do this drive quite a bit for golf, um, whether it's to Southern California, Vegas, or yeah, St. George, sure. and right. um, that has become a staple. And the ice cream's really good. Have to do not it once surprising when we first went this summer, the mask wearing was not at an elite level. It improved as the summer went on. I will okay. admit we walked in and left once. So I'm curious about the Clippers move. Uh, adding Rondo, how much does he have left in the tank? He did help the Lakers a little bit, but he had LeBron too. How much is he going to help the Clippers, and how much will they miss Lou Williams? How much does he have left in the tank? To me, this is a larger statement of where that the Clippers aren't out of last year's issues. That the Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell team of two years ago that got invaded by superstars Kawhi Leonard and Paul George really is and was a significant problem for the chemistry of that team. And so they let Mon- like Montrez Harrell revealed the truth in the offseason when he said they didn't even offer me a deal. It was like, oh, well, then that's about you, not about them, because you're a pretty good player. So if they're not offering you a deal, they clearly wanted you out. And now Lou Williams goes. I think that reveals that that was a real issue that maybe was still lingering on a team that has not been particularly um, you know, consistent or shown that kind of that special stuff they might have. So I would... I would say there might be, like, not trying to be, like, there might be real addition by subtraction there, that this is them finally clearing house of what's been problematic to them as a chemistry of a group. The second thing on that trade is it showed that the obvious desperation that they just clearly 
don't think they have enough and that they needed some sort of ball handling. Rondo was a way better passer and ball handler and distributor than um, than Patrick Beverly, so that'll be an upgrade. But he is 36. I don't know what he has left. He somehow has shot 40% in the playoffs the last two times he's been in the playoffs, so there is the phenomenon that is playoff Rondo. Will he respect Kawhi Leonard the way he respected LeBron James? Or will he respect Paul George the way he didn't respect Ray Allen? That's, you know, he's a mercurial dude, and that's going to be, um, you can ask Ron Boone sometime about his Rajon Rondo run-in. Like, this is, a, this is a guy that's not easy to get along with. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he plays. I think Ty Lue might have been with Rondo in Boston, so he would understand him and was there the night that Davis Napplebottle went through the film session screen. Um, if he was Doc Rivers' assistant at the time, I'd have to look back and see if that's still true. Um, if I, I didn't, I meant to check that today and I didn't, but maybe you guys can. Um, so, you know, I think it helps them. I think it's a larger statement of that. They still had things that are wrong. I don't think it's a game changer. I think Lonzo ball would have been, I, you know, you know, Ricky Rubio could have gone there. I don't know that that, like that wouldn't have put fear in my heart. Um, you know, I think George Hill would have gone there and that's a little bit of a box of chocolates. So, you know, Rondo's probably as good a selection once they couldn't go get Lonzo Ball or pull off some sort of high-caliber starting point guard. You mentioned winners as the Jazz. Elaborate, please. Well, I just, I mean, they're the number one seed in the West, and Kyle Lowry's not on the Lakers, and Lonzo Ball's not on the Clippers, and you're not going to get away with nobody getting better. I think Portland got a lot better um, the way it lines up right now. You might see Portland in the second round. I think Denver-Portland will end up being a 4-5 matchup in the second round unless Denver catches the Clippers. In which case, then I guess the you know, uh, or four or five first round matchup. I think Portland Portland will be in four or five. Denver might catch the Clippers, so it might be Clippers Portland in the first round with Denver Phoenix in the first round and uh, or Denver sorry in the second round. Um, so I I think you know just the sense that nobody made nobody got like that star piece. The biggest piece that moved was Nikola Vukovic. Now. Let's see, does LaMarcus Aldridge end up in Miami and Andre Drummond end up in New York? There's my dream scenario, that we just don't add anything. Andre Drummond to the Lakers could have a little bit of an impact. Drummond's not efficient. He's really a bad offensive player, but he's huge and takes up space, and they need bodies right now. They need anything they can get um, just to help them get through this stretch, or they're going to end up playing in a playing game. And I think the second note um, – you know, Dallas, I think, is lingering out there as a possibility for some of these buyout teams. And, you know, that gets interesting because if they get better, they force the Lakers into the play-in game by catching the Lakers. But I also think that Dallas any defense. But, but with Luka, we just don't have anyone who can guard him. And Chris Dapps does everything to us that we don't want to deal with as poor as he's been this year. So the Jazz trade for Matt Thomas, sharpshooter from Toronto, but Nick Nurse's coach has a quote about, yeah, he can shoot it, but he gives up too many points at the other end. He can't shoot enough to make up for all of that. Does that change with the Rudy Gobert behind him? Does he crack the rotation so we can find that out? He's under contract for a year and a half at like $1.7 million, so I guess he got 18 months or so to figure this out. Uh, what, what did you think of that trade, and what does that mean? I think, I think that last sentence you put in there is actually pretty important with Donovan maxing out and Rudy maxing out and Boyan in a pretty hefty contract and Joe not cheap. 
Like, I think the fact is that the Jazz are going to have to have some minimum contract players that can contribute. Matt Thomas has an elite-level skill. He can, move, he can shoot on the move, and he can shoot standing still at a very high level. Now, we don't run a lot of the Wayne Ellington, J.J. Redick-type Kyle Korver loop plays, but maybe we will for him. Um, we did with Korver for a while, so Quinn's obviously adaptable. Um, the one thing on Thomas that I've done, he's a name that always shows up. Like this offseason, I was trying to find like the next Duncan Robinson, Davis Bertans. I really believe in the six foot seven, six foot eight, high volume three point shooter. And the, you know, there were three names that continually came up for me. Um, Mihailik, who Detroit just traded Oklahoma City. Boyan Bogdanovich, interestingly, I think we could actually start to think about him a little differently in that sense. You know, he's six seven, six eight, takes eight threes a game and has been 40% for the last two years. He's 37 right now. Um, he'll probably get back to 40. And then Matt Thomas, but Matt Thomas was six four, and that's different. So now you're, you know, at best, and I don't think he'll ever do this, J.J. Redick, and more likely, and I don't know if he'll even do this, be Wayne Ellington. Those are different types of players. The six seven six eight shooter has that shooting pocket just enough higher they can get it off. But he's he shows up when you look for elite level shooters that might be able to be a high volume threat. He shows up. Your opinion of Alex Jensen staying? How big of a deal is it? You know, it's interesting. I just finished Locked On Jazz. When I finished Locked On Jazz. I- So I actually think it's really important for a few different reasons. So thank you for asking, PK. One, I think it's massively important for the Jazz because of his importance to the franchise, his connection, Quinn trusts him impeccably, um, and I think he's really, really important. Um, Number two, I think it's a statement a little bit by Ryan Smith. I don't know if Ryan Smith gave him a raise or if Ryan Smith has just sent a message to the staff that this is a place you want to be. We're going to take care of you. You want to be a part of this organization. You know, this is a positive place to be. I think that, and and maybe that's, you know, frankly, the Jazz staff has not been on the highest end pay. I mean, you know, the Knicks probably have five coaches paid more than Alex. That's because they're in New York. So sometimes it's hard to tell what that means. L.A. probably has five coaches paid more than Alex, too. And, like, is that because the Jazz are cheap or because Utah's not as expensive as L.A.? So there's something. But at some point you have to say, you know what, if you're, like, the lead assistant on the number one team in the Western Conference and with the best record, we're going to compensate you. So I'm going to guess that there was probably some – please stay and a little bit of a statement to the rest of the coaching staff that, you know what? Like we understand that Antonio Lang got a big money deal to go to Cleveland and Zach Guthrie got a nice deal to go to Dallas. And these were all upgrades. And this is what happens when you have a brilliant staff that people are going to get taken away. Well, we're going to do what we can to see if you decide maybe you don't want to leave. So I, I think this is all part of kind of Ryan Smith, these little subtle, they're not subtle, frankly, and they're not little. These big things Ryan Smith is doing, Jordan Clarkson returning, Rudy re-signing, Alex Jensen staying. Like, it's a beginning to be a pattern of behavior that in Salt Lake City, Utah, we're building a place people want to be and, and want to take part in. And Ryan Smith talks about trying to do this from a business standpoint. If still, you know, quite frankly, 
if Silicon Slopes is going to become Silicon Valley Junior or even Silicon Valley Senior, the they we have to overcome a lot of perceptions and realities, not just perceptions. I think that's one of our larger flaws as a state. We just call them perceptions. They're realities about what we don't have here and so how we're going to bring and be able to recruit from a business standpoint the full ledger and full roster of potential employees for these great companies we're building so we can be the best in the world. And the Jazz are the same thing. How do you get it so that you can recruit the best coaches, the best front office people, the best staff members to the organization, and the best players that you're not suddenly choosing from a small percentage because people don't want to come to Utah? So that's a small, that's, you know, it's a, it's a bigger image issue for Utah, but this is part of it. And the fact that Alex didn't take a head coaching job at his alma mater, I think is significant. Are the Jazz going to go 3-0 and against the Grizzlies, or are they going to no drop chance. one? No chance, right? If you go 3-0 and against the Grizzlies, it's another one of those wow moments. Right? Like, I mean, I mean, if you just take it, like, I don't know what our win probability is today. I mean, you could go look online and find, like, the odds and figure it out. But let's say, you know, we have a 65% chance of winning today. I would guess that that's probably about it. Well, if you have a 65% chance three times of something, you have almost no chance of happening three times in a row, right? Unless uh, the team's got a different mindset and is determined that every game matters and they don't care about anything else and they're going into lockdown mode and they've had it. That last road trip sucked and they got an edge. I think if you're in midseason, hey, let's go out and play pretty well mode, then you're probably going to drop a game. So, I mean, or, if, you know, if you're in the playoffs, you drop one too, right? Even if you're superior. Most people don't gentlemen sweep four, four or five. So, um, you know, I think it's a good test. Um, Taylor Jenkins is a remarkable coach. He used to be an assistant for Quinn in Austin. He's just done amazing work there. Uh, Brad Jones, former Jazz assistant, on that bench. John ja Morant's great. Interesting little note, they're 29th in the league in half-court offense and we're number one in the league in half-court defense. They're 29th in the league in three-point attempts, <clears throat> and they're 29th in the league in three-point shooting. They, they scored over 50 points in the paint in a bunch of games recently. So, you know, we, they don't match up well against us unless, you know, they really don't. Like, they like to get to the rim, and we've got Rudy. So, you know, in that sense, if we can – the big change that took place after Washington and Golden State is we kept uh, Chicago – and whomever we just played, oh, Brooklyn, kind of, uh, out of transition. And so if we can keep you know, them down to 15% of their possessions in transition, then I think you could win all three. But I would suspect in one of those three games, they get out and run a little bit. David, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, hopping on with us here. You guys are fabulous. <laughs> Thank you, David. You're pretty fabulous yourself. Congrats. Thank you. All right. See you. David Locke's weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. Because you're number one preset.
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Just talk with David Locke about a lot of stuff, but mostly about the trade deadline, winners, losers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, PK, you may have seen it. The Athletic did a, a big piece uh, regrading the mega trades of the 2010s, how monster deals look now. And sometimes the what we think the next morning is really how things work out. But there are a lot of examples that there's stuff hidden in deals that really turns out uh, can help teams or things we thought were going to work out really didn't seem to matter that much in the long run. So we've got what we think this morning of everything, but uh, one of the trades they regretted was the Carmelo trade uh, when, the, when he went from Denver to New York. And in that cache of draft picks was the draft pick uh, that became Jamal Murray. So as they point out, there's the rare trade that's still having an impact on a team 10 years later. And it's hard to factor all that stuff in. We're looking at, hey, how's it going to impact the next two months of the regular season? And the playoffs, and which of these deals is going to be a big deal? You know, three or five years from now, uh, that could be different. Well, you get a draft pick. That doesn't mean you get a player. That just exactly. means you get a draft pick, right? And so you have to cash in on that draft pick, and you just don't know how that's going to turn out until you make the pick and then give that player <clears throat> however long he needs to develop, if he in fact does develop. And the Jamal Murray one. I don't remember all the details, but you brought it to my attention right now. And so, obviously, he's a player. I look at Aaron Gordon, and rather than overanalyze and dissect it a hundred different ways, is he better than Paul Millsap? Yes. So that makes him a better team. Simple as that. Some of these trades also clear ways for guys to really blossom. And the best example of that, and probably will not be replicated because this is too good an example and it just isn't replicated very often, but they went into the Monte Ellis trade where Golden State, it isn't so much what they got back. I mean, the guys that got back helped them, and that was fine. Uh, But what it really did was free up shots and put the ball in the hands of two guys who are ready to emerge. And Steph Curry and Klay Thompson went crazy once they became the focus of the offense. So there's other stuff, you know, who just cleared way for a guy to take off. And just because that guy takes off doesn't make him Steph Curry because Steph Curry's an all-timer. Sure. You want an opportunity to show what you got. Everybody wants that. It doesn't matter where you're drafted. Who, who, just, all you want is an opportunity. And once you get that opportunity, what you do with it is largely up to you. And we can blame. I know BYU fans like to talk about Jimmer and he didn't get a chance and this and that. All right, it just wasn't going to happen to the level that they all fantasized and wanted to happen because Jimmer is such a phenomenal kid and we all wanted him to have success and all that stuff. But sure, absolutely, I understand that. It just didn't happen. Now, in the case of Steph Curry, yeah, it did. 
and he went probably better than anybody expected. You want that opportunity, and I really believe that once you get that opportunity, it's up to you to determine what you do with it. You take a look at Joe Ingles, and he's talked about many times over on our show Two things I need you to do, speaking from Quinn Snyder. I need you to play the best defense you can play and sprint to the corner and make a three. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's talked about that. And obviously, he took that to heart, man. It's such a phenomenal success story because he took exactly what Quinn Snyder was telling him that he needed to do, and he did it. And then once you do that, it's like my father used to tell me, man, do the very best you possibly can at whatever job you have. You don't. When you're 21, you probably don't have the job you want for the next 40 years. But as long as you have your eye on that job, the only way you're going to get that job is to kick butt in the job you're doing. That's the way it works, and that's exactly the way it worked for Joe Ingles. Do what I'm telling you to do the best of your ability. He did it, and then more was added on to him, where to now, obviously, he's a critical component on a team that has the best record in the league. He is seventh man of the year. (laughs) I want that to be a thing, desperately. Why not? Why stop at six? Hey, in junior high, how many awards do they give you, right? You get get enough to where everybody gets one. Why did we stop at six? What seventh is? How is that not let any less important or many more important? I don't think it. It's not necessarily either less or more. It's very important. The seventh man on a team can make a huge contribution, and Joe Ingles is that guy. But I think that the whole Joe Ingles story thing goes back to what you said about Quinn. Like you gave him two things to do. You know, and how many, you know, we've all worked for, you know, well, it depends on how old you are, how many bosses you've had, but you accumulate bosses pretty quickly. And you could go back and look at all the people who managed you, whether they managed you a little or they managed you a lot. You know, in TV, you can have like three or four different people managing you, and it's all a little different. Um, You know, an assistant news director, a news director, a general manager. But when they give you something specifically they want done, and then they hold you accountable specifically for that thing, that's much better than the old moving target. Or the boss okay. who doesn't talk sure. to you for yeah, six yeah, months gotcha. at a time. You're like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? So, and so to be told, Joe, do these two things. It goes back to what you said about coaching. You can't just grade them on championships because obviously whoever has Shaq has a shorter path to a championship. Whoever has LeBron has a shorter path to a championship. It's still not easy to get there. They still don't get there more than they do. But why did Joe take off? Well, there's a bunch of reasons, and his work ethic and his attitude and all the things. But, man, with coaching, it's like, I need this at this end of the floor, and I need that at that end of the floor. Uh-huh. And you do those two things, and you build from there. Ultimately, one day, he said, you know, he said, hey, I'm going to need you to run some pick and rolls. Hey, I'm going to need you to really get good at throwing this lob pass because we got a guy who's going to finish lobs at the rim 99% of the time. Uh-huh. So, you know, he added other things. But, man, when you're brand new and your head is spinning and you don't know anybody and you're still down because you just got cut by the Clippers and all that, to be told two things, okay, I get two things I can focus on, you know. Yeah, yeah, Take yeah, that yeah. first bite at the apple and then go from there. All right. All right, DJ and PK. Andrew Reinhardt joins us now from Wasatch Medical Clinic. And uh, Andrew, a breakthrough treatment that doesn't involve a pill, injections, or surgery. Uh, I've told you many times I flinch every time I hear injections, and I don't even know with surgery. I don't even want to contemplate it. <laughs> yes. These are all, unfortunately, these are realities for guys with severe erectile dysfunction. It starts by taking the pill then a little more of the pill, then the pill stops working, and it gets ugly really quick. For 30 years, there was no advancement. 
And then in the last maybe eight or nine years, acoustic wave therapy, we use the two most advanced versions, 42 clinical studies, including Cambridge University, backing our exact technology showing it can repair damaged blood vessels. Uh, a process called neovascularization takes place in this part of the body. More blood flow, more growth. Uh, that's a great thing for a, gr- a guy struggling with ED. If we sit back and think about it, ED is a blood flow issue. That's what we're treating. Uh, we've helped a lot of guys turn back the clock and eliminate the need for the pill. So what kind of results are you hearing? Really good results. Generally, it starts with skepticism and a little embarrassment. And I think the feedback we get is, I'm so glad I don't have to take the pill. Uh, it didn't make me a 20-year-old in the bedroom, but it made me maybe a 30-year-old in the bedroom. That's pretty cool. Um, the success rate is very high. A lot of the clinical studies say above 90%. So the feedback has been great. And you've got a special offer for people who are thinking, maybe I should try this out. Now's the time because you got a deal. Yeah, let's get your love life back on track. Call us now. We'll do the assessment, the exam. You'll meet with our doctor at no charge. He'll do a blood flow ultrasound even free, uh, a little enhanced gift that produces immediate results in the bedroom also. You'll love that. Give us a call here at Wasatch Medical now. It's no charge. Guys, you can uh, have that first meeting right now. All you got to do is call Wasatch Medical, give them a call, and claim the offer at 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Call 801-901-8000.